You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're going to finally do it. We're going to finally preview this Mets offseason. I want to make something clear on this uh, edition of the Evan Roberts podcast. We are not going to waste our time talking about team presidents or general managers or who they're interviewing or who doesn't want the job. Because honestly, the last month of that has been just mind numbing to our brain. So this podcast is about baseball. It's about the roster. It's about who they should get rid of. It's about who they should get. It's about how they can make this team, no matter who is running it, whether it's Sandy Alderson, Bryn Alderson, uh, Raquel Ferrara, Theo Epstein, Josh Burns, or Evan Roberts. It's just all about the Mets roster. And I have brought in the Mets text chat itself. Uh, Adam Eaton, his real name is actually Ryan, and Fantasy Phil, his real name is Phil. Fellas, are you ready to talk about the Mets roster? Let's do it. How's it going, boys? Good to be back. Oh, yes. It's fantastic to be back. I, you know, it's funny. I, as much as we've all talked about the front office, and I think everybody has, I haven't even given the off season and like specifically what I would do full thought until about a week ago, because I was falling in to the same distraction of, well, they don't have a manager. Well, they don't have a team president. And look, I don't know if you guys agree with me on this. When it comes to the manager, I'm not getting nuts about it. I mean, I have my preference. I think Carlos Beltran deserves another shot, but no matter who is managing this team, it's going to come down to the same thing, which is, are these players good enough? So do you agree or is there a specific manager you would really want to see this team hire? I'll start with you, Adam Eaton. Uh, I'm on the same wavelength as you. I agree. Uh, Ultimately, I think we've seen over the end of Terry's tenure, Mickey and now Rojas is that it's it ultimately comes down to the players on the field where they're getting big hits, making big pitches, whatever, wherever it may be. Um, so I don't think it's too much into who's actually putting the players out there than it is the players who are out there actually getting the job done. I'm, I'm going to put a little bit more emphasis on the manager because um, I think what we've seen over the last few years of Callaway and Rojas is just a very like passive, like lost behind the wheel type, rain and I'm sure we're going to touch on this subject coming up here but I think the cohesiveness of the team is a direct reflection of the manager and when you have guys like your superstar shortstop Francisco Lindor choking out another player (laughs) I think that's a direct reflection of who's running the ship here and I, I that just rubs me the wrong way like I like the way Terry Collins ran his teams um I don't know if this is completely made up or not but this whole the but like a week we had there where Ozzie Guillen's name was floating around there. I really like that idea. 
But um, I'm going to put a little bit more emphasis on the manager because oh. I want somebody in there who has some experience, who has esteem, respect, and can can get the best out of his guys. I will give you this. I think you hit on the aspect of a manager that matters. I think most of the time we get bogged down by why did you let the pitcher hit here? Why did you double switch there? Why does the lineup look like this? When ultimately a lot of those decisions are coming from the front office and then B, a lot of the game to game decisions we could criticize any manager for. And I don't know if over the course of 162, that's the difference between winning, you know, 80 games or 90 games. I think you hit on the most important job a manager has. It's why Joe Torrey was a great manager, and that's handling the locker room. I think that's also very tough to measure. Like, we don't necessarily know who controls a locker room better than others until pretty much after the fact. Like, you know, you're mentioning Terry Collins. I'm mentioning Joe Torrey. But I do think that that aspect of managing matters. And I I know it may not have felt like the biggest story at the time, but when the thumbs-down thing was going on, one thing I couldn't get past is how oblivious Luis Rojas was to everything that was going on. And I'm not saying he could have necessarily stopped it or changed it, but he played dumb. And I don't know if he was playing dumb or if he was literally that out of the loop. And one of the many Met stories that have come out over the last few weeks included, and Mike Puma's done a great job because it seems like he breaks all of it. But one of the things that came out of that was Cohen was ready to fire Luis Rojas because of that, because of the thumbs-down scenario where it didn't seem like he had a the pulse of the locker room. So I'll say this, Phil. I agree with that important aspect of a manager. Now, I don't know who that perfect guy is. I mean, Bruce Bochy's got the resume, and it seems like he's always controlled his locker rooms well. So that may seem like a dream candidate. Bob Melvin certainly fit that before he went to San Diego. But I would agree that... When we're judging managers, that's probably the most important thing a manager's job is, which is to kind of control that locker room and, you know, make sure they're not oblivious to everything that's going on. Yeah, I mean, I just can't emphasize enough. Like you touched on Rojas being playing dumb or are you dumb or what? But like being in in the market that we're in here, knowing the input that the fans have, like on a daily basis, whether it be on the radio, on Twitter, on whatever on tv you just have to be completely clueless to not know that like you have to either put a stop to it or get it under control or make some kind of statement or something you can't just go out there and just be like oh i'm not i'm not sure what's going on that they're doing what they what they like to do they're joking they're this or that that you just can't have that you got to have somebody who has a pulse number one and knows basically common sense as to what can happen what can't happen right right all right, let, let's go to the what I think is going to be the easiest part of this roster to diagnose. That's the rotation because they made the qualifying offer to Noah Syndergaard, which I agree with. I mean, if they could bring him back on a, a two-year deal where the average annual salary is lower, great. But I think we were all in agreement that they need to bring Noah Syndergaard back. This would not have been the time to let him walk away and let the Tampa Bay Rays benefit from Noah's rehab. So... They're bringing him back. But first of all, just I want to clarify. We're all good with this. We're all good with qualifying offer for Noah Syndergaard. Yeah, no brainer. You got to do it. All right. So right now, if you look at what they have under contract, Jacob DeGrom's obviously under contract. Hopefully he's healthy. I mean, I I pray to the baseball gods every night. Jacob DeGrom's healthy. Carlos Carrasco is coming back for another year. Taiwan Walker's coming back for another year. We mentioned Syndergaard. And then you've got the two young guys. 
Tyler McGill, who was mostly good until the end, and David Peterson, who missed a big chunk of time to injury. That, if my math is correct, is six starting pitchers. And that doesn't include Marcus Stroman, who's a free agent, doesn't include Rich Hill, if you wanted to include Rich Hill, and doesn't include adding on any other free agents. So that's, that's six guys. I, I guess that puts them in a spot where maybe they add one more arm. Maybe they try to bring back Marcus Stroman and you view McGill and Peterson as your depth guys, but clearly they don't need to go out and acquire a whole new rotation because based on just contracts like DeGrom Carrasco and Walker and even Syndergaard when he's healthy, those are locks. I mean, that's, that's four guys in your rotation that, you know, barring injuries are locked in and then you've got Peterson and McGill. So knowing those six guys are pretty much here what do you want to do as far as free agency and or trades when it comes to starting pitchers? I'll start it with you, Ryan. Uh, I would love to have Stroman back. I think this year uh, on the field, he, he backed up his, his talk, right? I think that we talked about that last year, the preseason that, you know, he always uh, talked up how best shape he's in mentally, physically. And I think this year he backed it up and showed that he's a guy that can eat up innings, quality innings. And if he's going to make every start and throw 180 to 200 innings, I think that's what that's what a guy they're looking for uh, to fill. Because you know, as listen, we want everyone to be healthy, but Carrasco, Syndergaard, now unfortunately we have to throw Degrom in that category are probably going to miss a start or two, if not more. Um, so to have that sixth guy not be McGill Peterson uh, and have them more be six seven and have Stroman be your your five. Uh, and count more reliable to count on innings, I think that would be the way I would go. Um, what is this, like the uh, 10th, 15th year in a row that we're sitting here like, oh, man, we have, what, six starting pitchers, five <laughs> spots? Like, how are we going to do this? But, uh, no, they, they – you got to go out there and get guys. I can't I can't go into this year saying, like, oh, no, David Peterson, Tyler McGill, let's go. Let's rock and roll. I need more guys. There's – I'd say there's a decent amount of free agent options out there. And not necessarily like top of the line, you know, we know Max Scherz is a free agent. Uh, Ver, I mean, Verlander's coming off an injury. He's a free agent. Um, there's still there's still good, like, middle-of-the-pack guys that I'd be interested in, like John Gray. Wade Miley would have been nice. who was just claimed by the Cubs for basically nothing. But, uh, yeah, John Gray. Uh, Anthony DiScofani had a nice year. There's, there's a bunch of guys in the middle of the pack there that can I could definitely take on this team I, in this rotation. I hate to say this because Steve Cohen's our owner, but – I think when we talk about other position groups and who also is a free agent, this is why this matters to me. It's about the money. You know, it's about how much is Marcus Stroman going to get? Not what is he going to ask for? He should ask for a lot. The guy had a really good year, but what's he truly going to get? You know, one of the names you didn't mention is Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray may win the American league Cy Young. I mean, he's either going to finish first or second and he's 30 years old and he's a free agent. So logic would say he's going to get paid a lot of money. I'd love for Marcus Stroman to come back or for them to sign Robbie Ray. But I think with the two starters they add, and that's what I would do. I would add one guy I feel real good about who's automatically in my rotation, like a Stroman. And then I would add a depth guy, you know, another kind of piece. And Rich Hill, by the way, fits that. I know he's 42 years old, but he wants to pitch. Rich Hill fits in that. If he's not in the rotation, it's not a big deal. He can help me out of the bullpen. John Gray is probably too good for that, obviously. Pineda is probably too good for that. Desclafani, same thing. So to me, with the six guys they have, I would add two. One guy who's in my rotation and one guy who's a depth guy. But the guy who's in my rotation, I can't pay $100 million to. I'm already paying Jacob DeGrom well over 30. 
Carrasco's making a lot of money. And then we're going to talk about it later. Robbie Cano's on this roster making $20 million. Plus, we're probably going to want to add bats. So, you know, I look at Eduardo Rodriguez. Granky, I wouldn't touch. Alex Cobb, uh, even Gray Desclafani, and say, how much can I get them for? Because that that's the biggest negative about Marcus Stroman and Robbie Ray. They had such good years. They're probably going to get over $100 million. And I don't know, man. I, I don't look at either guy. No offense to both of them. They both had great years. Robbie Ray may win the Cy Young. We all know who got a Marcus was. I don't know if I want to give them five years, $120, $130 million. So uh, to me, a lot of it is who could I get at a reasonable price to fill those two slots, a guy in my rotation and a guy that gives me depth on the outskirts of my rotation. A couple other guys that uh, I could see being successful and having them in this rotation are one guy they talked about for briefly at the deadline, Zach Davies. That's a back end of the rotation sure. guy. Probably won't be too expensive. And he's pretty somewhat reliable. He'll give you innings and get you what you need to get. And another guy is interesting. Eduardo Rodriguez, left-handed, yep. uh, something that this rotation hasn't had. He's got a history of success. I know he had some, I think he had like COVID related illness that I think kept him out a while. And then he didn't really have a full season after that. So he's had some success. He's got, he's got good stuff. I'd like to see him as well. I'll throw throw one more name out there. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Our good old friend, Steven Matz uh, declined. They didn't, he didn't get offered uh, the qualifying offer from Toronto (laughs) today. So he's a free agent now. So I mean, yeah, he's out there. I have no issue signing Steven Matz. In fact, last year, I didn't want to deal him. Like, I wasn't ready to fully give up on Steven Matz, but if they're willing to bring him back, I'm, you know, why the hell not? And I can't imagine he's going to get that much money. He probably fits that budget in terms of, hey, you're not going to have to give him anything crazy. So I wouldn't mind bringing him back. I don't know how Sandy feels about it. And yes, for the sake of this, I assume that Sandy Alderson is running the team. By the way, so you look at their bullpen in a similar way to the rotation. That's mostly set too, because, you know, unless they want to make trades, obviously Edwin Diaz is on this team. Seth Lugo is on this team. Trevor may assign for another year, Miguel Castro. So you've got four of your seven relievers pretty much set. I'd like to bring Aaron loop back, but I think they've got to be smart about it. It's clear. He had himself a career year. And again, when we talk about the budget, especially because, I think they're going to have to spend offensively. Are you really going to go out and spend big money on a top-notch reliever like a Kendall Graveman or Kenley Jansen or Rossiel Iglesias? They're going to have to add two or three arms in the bullpen, probably somebody from the left side, you know, maybe a Tony Watson kind of guy, something like that. I, I wouldn't say Brad Hand. We were obsessed with him last year. We already had him. Eh. <laughs> you know, he was kind of yeah. eh. Andrew Chafin, I guess. I think he's available in free agency. But look at the core of their bullpen. Their main relievers are there. May, Lugo, and Diaz are going to be their high-leverage guys, and they're already there for their bullpen. These bullpen guys are so hit or miss. I can't be worried about, like, giving guys big contracts because they're just going to drive you insane no matter what, no matter who you get. There's a handful of guys that you can rely on every single year, night in, night out. None of them are on this team, and none of them are coming to this team. So I'm just gonna, I'm okay with those four guys at the back end and just hoping for the best and – like you said, adding marginal pieces that you think might fit. Yeah, I'm locked up with that. Add a couple of guys that maybe had good years in the past, maybe not coming off the best year, and 
hope to lighten in a bottle. I know Joe Kelly's being released or not being renewed a contract. Out of Vino, these guys pitching the postseason have had success in the past. Guys like that, maybe you could get on a one a one year deal where they try to reval uh, rebuild some value. Could be good fits. So we like are you're... we're just accepting, and and I guess we kind of have to that Edwin Diaz is the closer of this team. That you know that's it. I mean, because he had a he had a decent year last year. I guess is the way I would define it. He's he's so up and down. He's not reliable for the most part, but. Is that what we're just accepting? Edwin Diaz is the guy. We all have to face it. Uh, yeah, basically, I don't think we, I don't think we have any other option right now. Uh, Lugo was disappointing when he came back last year. Um, that's really, I mean, Trevor May, you can kind of see step in there and close if you have to, but uh, Diaz is there by default, I'll say. And I put it this way, if he hasn't been removed from the from the role yet, I don't know what it's going to take to make <laughs> it happen. So. It's it's funny. I, I know that ERA is probably not the best indicator to judge relief pitchers. It can be misleading. But Diaz, Castro, May, and Lugo, the four guys we mentioned who are pretty much locks to be in the bullpen, all virtually had the same ERA. It's it's kind of incredible. I mean, they were yeah. all within like basically a tenth of a point of each other. If you look at it, Diaz was three, four, five, Castro was three, four, five, Lugo was three, five, May was three, five, nine. And obviously, you know, it's it's extreme. You know, one bad performance can affect your ERA in a major way. That's why I don't know if there's like a perfect stat to define what kind of a year a reliever's having. You almost have to watch the guy every day, unfortunately. But those four guys that they're going to run back next year, they all statistically have basically the same ERA. And Loop was unbelievable. I The problem with Aaron Loop, is that we all know he's not this good. I mean, Aaron Loop's been around. This is not his first rodeo. And while he's a serviceable reliever, like he had a really good year for the Tampa Bay Rays in 2020, you look at the rest of his career, he kind of fits what you were saying, Phil. Relievers are so up and down, and logic would tell you at 34 years old, well, there's no way Aaron Loop's going to have even close to the same year as he had last year. No, you can't. It's impossible. What was he, like a sub-one ERA or something yeah. like that? It's not It's not going to happen. I mean, he wants to come if, – if – if the numbers are right, I'll take I'll take him back. Sure, even he's not going to be sub one, obviously. But if he pitches to a two ERA, sub like under two, obviously, hell yeah, you take that. All right, you look at the rest of this team, and for the sake of this discussion, mainly because it's going to happen, there's going to be a DH next year. Um, worst case scenario, and I, I shouldn't use the term worst case because I would love it. Maybe they play around with this double hook rule where there's a DH, and then as soon as your starter comes out, there's no DH. Either way, there's going to be, you know, nine batters in your lineup, not including the pitcher, when the Mets start a baseball game. So keep that in mind. I, I, Pete Alonso is the first baseman. Like, yeah, he's he's fine at first base. I have no problem with him playing. playing yeah, first he's base. gotten so much better defensively. Plus, Dom was so bad offensively that you know, look, Dom may be on this baseball team. He probably is. I'm not sure what his trade value is. But I think Pete Alonso's earned that most of the time, maybe not every day, there'll be some DH days, but most of the time Pete Alonso should play first base because he takes pride in his defense, which matters. It's not like he doesn't give a crap. And he was significantly better defensively in 2021 than he was 2020. So I'm all in on Pete Alonso being the guy at first base, DH or not. Agreed. He's. Uh, I think he's made it clear also that he doesn't want to be DH. He wants to be an everyday first baseman. I think he's earned that right both offensively and the work he's put in defensively. So he, he's the guy until uh, proven he's not the guy. 
All right. Do you guys want to re-sign Javier Baez? Yes, for me. I think uh, the energy, the baseball IQ, take away the thumbs down stuff. But even that, like, I always, we've, I know we've been talking about it. I've been talking to other Mets fans. The Mets need a bad guy. They enough of this where they all get along. They all do this. You, you need, you need a, a douche every once in a while, right? You need somebody to to spice it up and and take away the the attitude. What he does on a field and what he's able to do on a field with the base running and the defense, like that's so out of the Mets mold the last couple of years. It was refreshing to see. So I think as long as his price is realistic and not thinking he's going to get Lindor type money, um, I would love to have him back. Yep, I'm in with that. Same thing. And I also think we can just throw the whole uh, everybody is friends in the clubhouse out the window after what we, <laughs> the news has come out, come out over the last week. So, yeah. uh, but you know, I'm, I'm right there too. Bias, like it's, with everything, there's a caveat. I need to know what, what the parameters are. Like, does he think he's a $300 million player? If he does, and somebody's going to give that to him, I'm going to have to let him walk and figure out what the next step is going to be. But yeah. if we're talking like, if we're talking in like, the six-year, like, 180 range. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm in for that. I mean, what's funny about what Baez did is that he was great. You know, when they traded for him, he was really, really productive. I mean, I think the minor things where he missed a little bit of time because of injury, the thumbs-down stuff, but production-wise, the guy was really, really good. And what I love about Baez moving forward, and I know we'll discuss how to handle third base and whatnot, is that he's a versatile player. You know, if Lindor does get hurt, Javi Baez can move over to shortstop and be great, and you don't lose anything defensively. Depending on how this team is built two years from now, three years from now, Javier Baez could be a third baseman. Like, he has shown that kind of versatility throughout his major league career. So I'm with you. I I can't believe I'm saying it because I thought when the thumbs down thing occurred that he was dead here, that there's no way this could work. But the guy was productive. And now when you look at the makeup of this roster, they sort of need him. You know, even with Brent Batty, who I think is a big factor here, Brent Batty, because he's going to be at some point on the major league roster this year. And he's their top prospect. And unless they're going to force feed him in the outfield, he's a third baseman. So, you know, I, I wouldn't look at it and say, well, just play Jeff McNeil at second. Batty's coming up. Let Baez go. That would be a very Wilpon thing to do. I think Baez is so important to bring back because the lineup looks so different if you take him away from it. If all of a sudden Baez is gone and now you're, okay, McNeil's the second baseman, assuming Lindor doesn't choke him out in the third inning of a game, (laughs) it it just, it creates more questions. So I'm with you about bringing him back. I think, you know, when we talk about the contract being reasonable, I'm not even sure what reasonable is. You know, Carlos Correa, who's a tremendous player, was just offered five years, 180 by the Houston Astros, and he's going to clearly turn it down. He's going to say absolutely not. So, you know, Baez, who's very similar in age, he's 28 years old, certainly has a hell of a resume, could say the same thing. Like, yeah, you want me back? You got to give me eight years. Okay, you know, you don't have to give me 10 or 11 years like Lindor. I want eight years, and I want $30 million a year. And if you do that, now all of a sudden do the math. You're talking about $240 bucks. Is that reasonable? Would you give him that? I, I would not give him that, no. I just... We've seen too many of these enormous contracts just go by the wayside and wind up to be a problem, and I'd have to let him walk at that. All right. Now, they bring him back. Let's assume they work this out. Third base to me is fascinating because you got a lot of options. You have Jeff McNeil. 
You have Brett Batty, who is going to be here at some point, but he's still a prospect. He's still unknown. You still have J.D. Davis. We forget about it, but J.D. Davis is somehow on this team. Uh, Rightfully forget about J.D. Davis, but okay. (laughs) And then you've got, you know, door number five, whatever I'm up to, which is acquiring somebody. And, you know, whether it's via trade, whether it's Matt Chapman, who we talked about last year, whether it's signing one of the elite level shortstops to play at third base, a guy like Carlos Correa, which is a fantasy of mine. There are a lot of different ways you can go about third base. I think the one thing we know for sure is that J.D. Davis won't be the guy. They hate him. Jonathan VR basically became their third baseman a year ago. So we know J.D. Davis is dead. And if we assume Francisco Lindor has all this power, he's going to want Jeff McNeil as far away from him as humanly possible. So what are we doing with third base? Do we try to band-aid this thing until batty comes up do you go out and sign one of the elite level shortstops and not give an f about steve cohen's money are you trying to put a package together from matt chapman like what what are we doing at third base the million dollar question i think i think this is where i at least buy into steve cohen's words where he said he's not going to go over the luxury tax by a few million there's no point of it so if we take him at his word, I think, you know, whether it be a Chris Bryan or, or somebody to play third base, I think they're going to spend money there. I, I really do. And it, I keep going back to Chris Bryan when I think of third base because the kind of like we said with Baez, he has the outfield flexibility. So if you look at that, like he almost, you almost combine him into two players, so maybe sign a, a cheaper bench player to kind of offset the money a little bit um, for getting him. But that would be my target. If it's not Chris Bryant, I'm all fine. I'm fine with VR coming back to kind of be that that fill in and that uh, the placeholder for Batty. Um, but I still think the money then is going to be spent on an outfield piece somewhere. Yeah, I kind of agree there. It, it all kind of depends where you're going to be reshaping the roster. So are we talking about signing Nick Castellanos to play right field? Are we talking about Chris Bryant to play right field, play left field? Uh, if that's the case, then. VR, I think, had a fantastic year last year. I wouldn't have a problem with bringing him back, playing him at at a third base or second base if you want to put bring Baez back, put Baez at third base. Those are all all those all those scenarios uh, can work out. See, but I, I'm I'm going to say that I'm calling the A's and because obviously they can't, they're not bringing back the manager. Everything's going going out the window there. I'm calling and seeing who's available. Is everybody available? I want to know about Matt Chapman. I want to know about Sean Manai. I want to know about Frankie Montas. Who's what are we doing here? I need to know what's going on there first, because if I can get my hands on Matt Chapman for at a reasonable price, I'm going to be looking that way. And kind of just to go go right back to Chris Bryant for a second. Like he could also be the plate, you know, the placeholder for Batty. If Batty comes in and he's legit at third base, shows in spring training or whatever, we know Bryant could play the corner outfield. Right. At a, at a high level, so he could easily slide to one of those outfield positions to make room for Batty. By, by the yeah, way, Batty's played a little outfield, too. Now, I don't know if he's any good out there. I don't know if it's basically a Dom Smith, Jeff McNeil situation, but I was checking it out. He's played a little bit of outfield, but I, you're, you're right that Bryant offers that, which these other guys don't. Like Carlos Correa, if you went nuts and gave him $300 bucks and said, let's put together the Puerto Rican dream infield, the former teammates from the WBC, 
and put him at third base, you're locked in. There's no versatility as far as, hey, Batty's really good. What do we do? Brian has that ability to play the outfield. I'm just, I got to tell you, I'm not a huge fan of Chris Bryan. I just, he strikes out a ton. He's missed a lot of time over the years due to injuries. I don't know, man. Like, if I'm spending big-time money, I kind of want that reward. I think Carlos Correa at least gives that to me. Now, I know Correa's had his injuries, too. I, I guess everyone has. But I don't know, man. If I'm spending $200 million, and Chris Bryan may cost that. Like, I don't think Chris, I think Chris Bryant will cost less than Carlos Correa. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think you're getting him on some kind of, you know, team friendly contract. And, and, and as far as Chapman's concerned, keep this in mind. If they get Chapman, Batty's probably in the deal. I mean, the A's are going to want I, a lot back. And so he's probably the centerpiece of that trade for Matt Chapman, right? I was thinking probably Ronnie Mauricio would probably be the centerpiece of that deal. I don't think you would have to part with both of them in a deal for Chapman, but you never know. I could, yep. I could see a couple of major league paces going, whether it be Jeff McNeil, Dom Smith, Ronnie Mauricio. And uh, Mauricio some... is, and Mauricio is blocked essentially. I mean, you, yeah. you have Lindor, you may resign Baez. I, I guess he could move over and play a different position. He hasn't yet so far in the minor leagues. He's been exclusively a shortstop. So yeah, I probably, without watching these kids every day, obviously we're just reading about them, looking at their stats you'd prefer to move Mauricio as opposed to Batty in this kind of package deal. Right, 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 right. And this is where I think you'd see like more shakeup at the major league level, whether it be, like I said, Jeff McNeil, Dom Smith, J.D. Davis, along with prospect like a top-level right. prospect like Mauricio and some of these mid-level guys that might be enough to get a package you know, for a guy like Chapman. You know who we forgot about as a third base option? We mentioned J.D. Yeah. Davis. We mentioned Jeff McNeil. We mentioned trading for this guy, signing that guy. Robbie Cano. I mean, oh, we, 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 we I, have to, we can't ignore his existence. He's on the roster. He's making $20 million. So they're not trading him anywhere. Uh, you may as well make use of Robinson Cano. What are you going to do? Not play him at all? I will I, say uh, having a guy like him on the, on the team last year probably would have helped like with the quasi collapse that they went through having a veteran presence like him in there. And, you know, granted, he was on the sauce, but he was, he hit, he hit really well in the shortened season. So if he would have been able to come back or been part of the team somewhat, it could have been somewhat productive. But yeah, I mean, it's tough to picture him anywhere in this lineup or on this roster. But you're right. He's got to fit somewhere. I'm doing what? I have no idea. Um, hmm. But yeah. <laughs> but I think he almost becomes your, if he's actually, I think I'm not blind to the fact that he's definitely going to be in spring training now what they do if he actually makes the team they work out some kind of buyout or whatever um whatever the deal is but if he actually is on the opening day roster i think he almost becomes your super utility infield guy where he could play some third he could play some second he has experience playing first if the he dh does? is that the dh i think he played first with seattle the last year in seattle oh, um so and then he, you know, he could DH. You know, the one thing we know he could do, sauce or not, is that he could, he could hit. So if he's your DH on some days versus righties, you know, give Pete a blow or or whatever. Uh, you know, I think he becomes that. It's an expensive utility guy, but if they're not going to eat the money, then it is what it is. And there, by the way, there's no point of eating the money. Like I, what is the purpose of paying the guy to go away when you laid it out, Ryan? You can make him a useful part of the team. 
And, and you're right. His last year in Seattle, he played a couple of games at first base. He played a couple of games at third base. And Robinson Cano doesn't have a leg to stand on. Like, he's going to be told, this is the deal, bro. You're being given your last shot now because, obviously, if he gets busted for PDs again, he's banned for life. He loses every dime of the remaining $40-plus million on his contract. I'm not a fan of just making him go away. I think a year ago that sounded good, like, ah, screw Robbie Cano, I never want to see him again. You got to pay him anyway. But So if you're paying him anyway, you may as well get something out of him and – Look, I, I don't know what he's going to be offensively. Obviously, if the guy's hitting 195, then fine, cut him. Then fine, pay him to go away because at that point, he's a net negative. But you never know. I mean, maybe he's Nelson Cruz. And by the way, Nelson Cruz was busted for PEDs too. Let's not forget that. So, you know, maybe he gives you something. And with the DH as well, he's going to find his way to get at-bats. Whether it's DHing, whether it's third base, whether it's first base, whether it's second base, whether it's a bat off the bench, you know, you're still going to be able to use pinch hitters even without a, you know, a pitcher hitting. You know, maybe you want to pinch hit for James McCann late in the game because God knows how much oh, he God. sucks. So James, the, James the only McCann. reason, <laughs> the only reason why I mention and even think about, you know, getting rid of him and paying him off is because the first time in our fandom we could pull an Ellsbury. We could, hey, we have the owner that could. Hey, we want to reshape this roster yes. and you don't fit the mold that we're trying to do. And you're taking a roster spot from something we're going to do and knowing that, Hey, I'm going to pay you $40 million to go away. But I truly believe this. And I don't know, obviously I have no, nothing to back this up that it wouldn't hamstring Cohen to spending money elsewhere. Yeah, if yeah. They felt like get rid of this. And but as long as they're still going to spend the money, I have no problem getting rid of them. If he's hitting 145, I'm with you. Like once he becomes a negative, I, I just I guess I buy what you're saying that I can see how he can be useful. We just have to forget he's making twenty million dollars a year and what they gave up to get him. If you just put that out of your mind, like Robinson Cano could be a useful player. And you know, we haven't brought it up, but I don't care that he's a cheater. I mean, I don't think that's a problem in the locker room. He, he is what he is. He's he's not gonna get in the Hall of Fame, obviously, but that's not my problem. I'm not getting rid of him because of the fact he's been busted twice for PEDs. I, I, I think well, uh, apparently Lindor said he expects an apology from Robinson Cano to everybody in the locker room. Well, he should yeah. his arrival back. Yeah, but, no, I, he should apologize. I mean, I don't think he should just walk in there and say, what up guys and not say a word about it. I think he should apologize. He should give whatever BS excuse he wants, but I, I guess I'm telling you, I'm not cutting him because of the fact He's a PED cheat. Like, that's oh, not no. to me. I look at it squarely as, can this guy be a useful player? And, you know, obviously, if he's a pariah in the locker room, sure, get rid of him. I assume he's not going to be a pariah in the locker room and that guys will accept him back once he gives them whatever BS answer he gives. Yeah, and you already saw him on, I think, Instagram at, towards the end of the season. He was out to dinner with Edwin Diaz and a couple other guys. So he's still been around the guys, just obviously not in the same capacity. So I don't think him being welcomed back or having any issues in the locker room are going to be a problem. Like, uh, so I guess like we're all saying is if he comes in spring training early in the season shows that he could still play. Then why not? If he can't, let's just dump him out the door. All right, let's get to the most complicated part of this team. And that's the outfield, because as far as I'm concerned, they have zero everyday outfielders right now, locked in out of position. That's not a no, knock they, on they, what I was going to say, don't talk about my boy, Brandon Nimmo. Like that. no, no. that's an everyday outfielder. Here's why Brandon Nimmo's not locked in. Okay. First of all, I can't lock him in a center field. I mean, it's possible that considering how open this outfield is, they signed Starling Marte. 
that's an option. And Brandon Nimmo is a left fielder. And even though Nimmo played well defensively last year in center field, there are scenarios where he moves off center. But here's the other issue. Here's my issue with Brandon Nimmo. All right. Outside of the 60 game season in 2020, the guy never plays a full season. Even last year, he was great. Not knocking Brandon Nimmo. Guy was outstanding when he played. He was one of their most consistent hitters. He played 92 games. I mean, think about that. He missed almost half the season. In 2019, it was the same thing. He played 69 games. He is just not reliable. That's the problem with Brandon Nimmo. So production-wise, yeah, I love that 838 OPS. I love him getting on base 40% of the time. Guy was great. Guy was fantastic. Can you trust him to play 140 games? I I think taking him off of center field, and I've been saying it for years, he would be an elite left fielder. With what he brings offensively, he plays good enough defense in left field to be successful. Taking him out of center field and making him your left fielder and saying, go go have a season, I think that's that would take a lot of wear and tear off, it, off his body because a lot of those injuries he sustained, how many times have we seen him like diving in or left or right in center field trying to make a play, and that's where the injuries stem from. Put him in left field, let him play every day. Well, where are you getting a center fielder? I mean, in free agency, the only one that's worth a damn is Starling Marte. You could try to trade for Byron Buxton, but I just went on a whole thing about reliability of staying healthy to answer that by saying, yeah, go trade for Buxton. I mean, he's the opposite of being reliable in terms of playing every day. So in theory, I I don't disagree with you, but where do you get a center fielder from? That's where it gets here. I mean, Starling Marte had, you know, has been awesome, but he's going to be what, 33 years old? Or is he yep. going to play the full year at 33 years old? What One, what kind of contract does that demand? And two, I just the cynic in me just says like, oh, this has Mets signing written all over it. The guy steals 40 bases this year, hits 300, hits 30 home runs, whatever. He signs with the Mets. He's going to hit 240, steal seven bases, and then that's it. it's going to be an albatross. So that's where it gets a little bit hairy. One name I did hear come up, though, from one of the uh, – can't even think of who it was on Twitter, but who has – some center field experience that might be expendable from his team is Max Kepler. And that's, it was an interesting name. You know, he's not going to light the world on fire, but he's got 30 home run power, does not strike out a lot. And that, that'd be an interesting piece to see if he, if he's suitable every day in center field, I'd explore that. It's another lefty. So you don't really have like a, I guess I just look at that outfield and say, boy, they need right-handed hitting. When you, when you look yep. at Nimmo and Dom and McNeil, we haven't mentioned Gifordo, who I think is unlikely to come back. That's the, you know, it's not really a, a knock on Max Kepler, but he's just another left-handed bat. Yep. They, they just need right-handed hitting outfielders. That's where Marte, and you're right. I could see where that move blows up in their face, but that's where a guy like Starling Marte does make a lot of sense. He makes them more athletic. It allows you to move Nimmo to the corner outfield spot. Even though, granted, Marte's 33-34, at what point is he no longer a center fielder? I mean, you almost exactly. have to you have to think about that, too. But they're very left-handed in that outfield. Do we, yeah. do we call the A's about Ramon Laureano? Is he available? I know he just I know he got pinched for the PEDs, but what's he got? Well, we already have Cano. So, like, what's wrong with yeah, another? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like so, Laureano. Laureano's a not, I mean, I don't know if he's a every day, every day kind of player, but as a right-handed bat, as a good defensive outfielder, I think he 
He's certainly an upgrade over some of the other fourth outfielders they've had over the years. Yeah. But I think he's more of a fourth outfielder than he is the everyday center fielder. Yeah. So I, I gave this thought because I'm with you guys. Uh, definitely have to move. Nimble did a great job this year, but I think I'm with Phil. You take him out of center field, the wear and tear of playing the position, I hope uh, will lead to less injury. All those nag, little small nagging injuries that send to t- take him out for a couple of weeks and looked at free agency. Um, Marte would be nice, but I want you guys uh, have that blown up uh, in our face, written all over it. I would go after Cattell Marte from Dimebacks. He's 28, switch hitter, versatility, center field experience. Figure out what packages, uh, what would kind of what package would get it done. And I don't know what, honestly, I, I don't think he's making a lot of money um, yet. Um, so that's be a guy that could play center field and I know could also kind of go in line with the versatility that they're they're looking for in their roster. I like that. That'd be a good addition. It's going to probably be expensive. I think because of where the Diamondbacks are right now, it makes sense that they would be open to moving them. I mean, they're certainly not any kind of championship contender. I think that's a very good name. And I think that's where you look at McNeil, you look at Dom, and you say, where's their value? Now, I'm not saying that Dom Smith or Jeff McNeil would even be in a package for a guy like Cattell Marte, because then you got to ask yourself, well, why are the Diamondbacks bringing back a guy or guys who aren't even that much younger? I mean, in McNeil's case, he's older. But I think that's very, very important, a very important aspect of this offseason. What's the value of McNeil and Dom Smith? And it doesn't mean I'm trading them. I mean, it's, it's weird when people say, I want to trade so-and-so. I got to know what I'm getting. Like, I, I mean, it's like the whole thing with Kyrie Irving. Yeah, I'm open to trading him. What am I getting? If I'm getting Damian Lillard, fine, I'll trade him. If I'm getting Ben Simmons, the answer is no. If I'm getting Kristaps Porzingis, that stiff fill that your basketball team got rid of a few years ago, I have no interest. But it's the same thing. I, I am open on a lot of guys on this roster, specifically McNeil and Dom, but I acknowledge they are coming off bad years. You never want to trade guys when their values are down. But the problem with both of those guys right now, and I love McNeil's versatility, that's a positive, but on this team, assuming they're going to go the way they're going to go, they're outfielders. They're not even versatile. They're outfielders. That's where they're mostly going to play. Dom Smith is clearly an outfielder on this team. And so that's where you say, you can do better. I mean, you look at free agency. We haven't brought up some of the other corner outfielders but Nicholas Castellanos is a tremendous player. Eddie Rosario is a free agent. We saw his impact. Kyle Schwarber, we saw and have seen his impact over the years. There are outfielders that are just better. They're just better players than what we're talking about. So that's the thing about those two. I, I want to shop them. I want to see what I can get. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if it's a guy like Cattel Marte. I don't know if it's a a depth starting pitcher. I don't know if it's some kind of big-time reliever or if it's just prospects. But are you guys open to shopping both of those guys just to see what the hell's out there? I think two out of the three of Davis, McNeil, and Smith have to be gone. Just for the fact of reshaping the roster, we gave them but three years at this point, whatever it's been of the cookie club or whatever else, you know, they have in that locker room that apparently is not working. And I know we could say Lindor changed it when he came in and that is a whole new dynamic in there, I'm sure. Um, But like you kind of hit on with the shape of the rest of the roster, 
all three of them are pretty much the same player in playing besides maybe Dom obviously can't play third base, but they kind of, it's three players for one and a half spots to say. Yeah. So I don't think we need all three of them. So I'm with you. We got to find the value. I think whatever two have the best value, we, we, we chip, we cash in and whatever we could get, we could get. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I think it's almost a lock that they, all three of them will not be on the team. Um, definitely opening to shopping them. I'd say of the three McNeil's value is probably the highest just because he's got a couple of years of hitting, you know, 315, 320, 330 under his belt. He can, he's versatile. He can play second. He can play third. He can play both corner outfield spots. Um, so I think he's got the highest value, but you know, after hearing stories of what he's gotten into with Lindor, he's probably not the most uh, clubhouse friendly guy right now at the time. So that's, that's another issue overlying, but, like I mentioned earlier, I, I would like to think that adding a guy like him, adding a guy like Dom Smith into a package could get you with, with prospects could get you, you know, a decent major league piece. So I think that's ultimately the, the way that it's going to go. And are we all just kicking Michael Conforto to the side? They made him the qualifying offer, which is a no brainer. We all assume he's going to say no with Scott Boris as his agent. He is coming off a horrendous season. I mean, statistically the worst year of his career. You know, besides maybe that second year where he got sent down to the minor leagues after he faced Madison Bumgarner and went through a massive slump. I think that's the only year that rivals the ineptitude of what he did this year in a contract year. But are we all are we all just done with him? I think I think he's going to price himself out uh, of the Mets, unfortunately, which I don't think he should with the year he had. Um, I read a couple different things of maybe going to a better hitter stadium on a pillow contract. Um, But I think his his, what he's going to want is going to exceed what his uh production is and i like michael conforto as, as a player but as boris's agent now I, I think there's a rule now evan you probably know if he declines the qualifying offer don't they have only to a certain date to sign him and then they can't sign him to may Something no like that, that one's gone they eliminated they got, that. They got rid of that okay so yep. uh, so that's why i was my question was going to be where all right well maybe they have a little bit of leverage to sign them quick in the off season. Um, but now it's actually, I guess it could go the other way. They have leverage where if he goes out and doesn't get the kind of contracts he's looking for, is he more willing because he has the history with New York to come back on a, on a I, lesser I deal? I got to tell you, man, I don't understand why he wouldn't accept the qualifying offer. I mean, because it's $19 million, which is a pretty good chunk of change. You just mentioned getting a pillow contract somewhere else. Is he getting more than that somewhere else? And no. I you don't think he's getting the- more. I don't think he's getting more than more than that. But I think if he takes a one-year, fifteen million dollar deal in Cincinnati and goes out and hits forty home runs, which is a better chance of doing there, he parlays that into a bigger right. contract than coming back and hitting City Field for a year and put another mediocre year. So yeah. I think that's where he might be willing. Known Boris, he might be willing to give up a couple million next year to make more millions years after. No, I, I get that. I mean, look, there's no denying like going to a place like Cincy, even though the way they're spending money, I don't think that's going to happen. But I get your point, like going to a better hitters ballpark. If he liked being here and this is going to be a really good lineup and he's or hopefully a really good lineup, who the hell knows? And he's had success here. I mean, you look at how productive he was in the short in 2020 season, how productive he was in the 2019 season, which probably was I guess 2017 was his best year, but he got hurt that year. So it wasn't like a full, full season. Like, he's had success here. So, I don't know, man. I just, logic tells me he should accept the qualifying offer. And if he did, I'd be fine with it. I mean, bringing Conforto back on a one-year deal doesn't 
you know, piss me off or anything because I've seen the good of Michael Conforto. Like, I'd be afraid to give him a multi-year contract at this point, and I don't think the Mets will because he's so unreliable. He is so – he's not just a streaky player, but you look at his seasons since he was called up in 2015. Dude, it is up. It is down. It is up. It is down. Now, that tells you that 2022 as a 29-year-old should be a very productive season for him. But on a four- or five-year contract, this year scares me off from that. Well, see, but, I've got, I'm going to go with the opposite. I think I'd be more – I think what this year showed me was I think – I don't know if he was annoyed or whatever that Lindor got signed before him and he said he wasn't talking, whatever. And I think he put so much pressure or, you know, pressed really hard this year, which led to probably a terrible year. So what's to say that's not going to change and repeat itself on a one-year deal where now he, can he not handle that? I need to get it done for a big contract. So maybe if you give him a reasonable four or five year deal where now he could relax, it seems to be his personality. I think that might, be to get a better Conforto than having him on a one-year deal where Preston might not be the best thing for him. Yeah. God, that scares me. I I don't, (laughs) I I, I like, I like Michael Conforto, the player. I think last year is an outlier of what he is. Is he, you know, a middle, like a number three hitter forever, like 30 home runs, hundred RBI type player. Probably not, but he's a, I tell you, he's an above average, like very good major league hitter. I don't, what we saw last year, I don't think that's him at all. But I agree with you, Evan, in the sense that it, to me, it doesn't really make sense of him not accepting that $19 million or $18 well, million, whatever it is. Because you, who's realistically, who's giving him a $100 million contract? I don't think anyone's giving him a $100 million imagine. contract. I can't and, imagine. Yeah. So, and if, if he's at an age right now where he is probably going to get one, like, you know, quote unquote, big contract. And are you willing to, like, at, at least in his case, is he willing to, you know, go for that right now off the year he just had or take that $19 million and be like, I, I, he can't do worse than he did last year and then go into free agency. Right. So, so, so now it. think about, think about their outfield. I mean, Brandon Nimmo is going to be on this team. He's going to be an everyday outfielder next year. That's it. Dom Smith and Jeff McNeil are the only other guys that you can look at as outfielders on this team. I mean, go, go to their 40 man roster and say, all right, who are the 40-man rostered outfielders? I mean, it's Khalil Lee and Brandon Nimmo. That's it. If you want to consider Dom Smith and Jeff McNeil outfielders, great. So assuming they make no moves, their outfield is Dom in left, Nimmo in center, McNeil in right. So clearly they've got to make significant moves in the outfield. And if they're not going to go big financially at third base, they've got to go big financially in the outfield. Um, Kyle Schwarber in left. Brandon Nimmo in center, Nicholas Castellanos in right. Now, that is a dreadful defensive outfield. I must tell Horrible. you. Horrible. Horrible. <laughs> I, I, I get that. I was just, I'm just naming you big-time outfielders offensively. But here's my question. Opening day 2022, give me the three outfielders that are starting for the New York Mets. Go. I'm going to say Brent. Uh, man, what position is he playing? I'm going to say Brandon Nimmo is going to be playing center field. Nick Castellanos is going to be playing right field and uh, off my head, left field. I couldn't even come up with a left fielder right now because I don't think it's going to be anybody on this roster or a big name free agent that, you know, we've talked about a lot, but I'm not even confident that that's happening. So I can think about that. Outfield outfield is such a like ambiguous thing right now because you have no idea who's going to be on this team. Like you said, 
there's only two real outfielders on the 40-man roster right now. So that's a complete question mark. What do you got, Ryan? All right, so I'm going to go Nimmo in left or right. I don't care what corner position he plays. I'm going to stick with my guy, Cattell Marte. I really, that's who they should go after. I like play, that. I like to play, that. To play center. And then, actually, we'll move Nimmo to right. And I think out of the three we talked about before, I'm going to stick Dom in left to start and with another fourth out Pilar type. I'd love to have him back or something you know along those lines to start in left field. Um, a lot, I would really, I'm really interested to see, uh, Cleo Lee again, uh, after the Mets sent him down the brief time he had with the Mets, he tore it up and another outfielder, I believe, I don't know how far away he is the guy they got for Billy McKinnon from the Dodgers finished in the minor leagues, extremely strong with a lot of home runs. I believe he's a corner outfielder as well. So maybe a little placeholder situation. If Cleo Lee could show he could be something, he could end up being your left fielder <laughs> or right fielder. It shows so that, you because I think they're going to spend money at third base. I, I really do, and I hope it's Chris Bryant because then that almost gives you, to use a fantasy football term, a handcuff for a right. corner outfield spot. I, I think if I had to guess, this isn't what I would do, but a guess. I think Nimmo is in center, and I think one of McNeil or Dom is in left field. Like I think one of them is traded, one of them is on the roster, and then the added outfielder is playing the other spot. I would not be stunned by Kyle Schwarber. I know he doesn't seem to fit things because he's another lefty and he's not great defensively. So he kind of fits the mold of, well, I mean, what's the difference between him and Adam Smith or Jeff McNeil as far as not being a great or natural outfielder, but the DH gives them a lot more versatility. You know, we, we assume Robbie Cano's going to get some at-bats at DH, but there's going to be a DH. And so if a guy like Kyle Schwarber can do both where he plays a lot of left field, but also spends a lot of time DHing. The trade guy that I'm intrigued by, and I know that I sort of ripped him earlier because of his unreliability, but I'm still, I still stare at this guy and see a superstar as Byron Buxton. And oh, yeah. Agreed. I, like, I can see the Minnesota Twins at this point. If you're the Minnesota Twins, he's been on your team for seven years, right? This is not new. This isn't let's take a flyer on him. And he has been so frustrating. Early in his career, he couldn't hit. He was terrible. And then the last two years, he's flashed the stardom, but he just can't stay on the field. And so I can see Minnesota saying, all right, we're done. You know, we, we, we've just done this for a while. And I think he's a free agent next year, so he's got one more year where you, you have him. And if you're Minnesota, you're probably not re-signing him anyway because you're probably not going to be able to pay him if he does give you that season in which he's fully together, in which he's healthy. I would be very intrigued. I know the risk. I understand the track record says he's going to miss more than half the year. But my God, when he played last year, he was finally starting to put it all together like the superstar the Twins thought he was. And I mentioned him to, to you guys last year as part of a let's go after him. Obviously, it didn't happen. I don't know if Minnesota was that interested. But I kind of go back to that Buxton boy. If it ever worked out, man, that's a that's a home run right there. Agreed. And when I was looking for the, when we were looking through the outfield, preparing for this, and I said, all right, free agency stinks. There's got to be someone for a trade. I came across Marte, Marte but my B choice uh, was what it would have been Buxton uh, for the same risk you, you laid out why I valued Marte over him. But I mean, I'm sure the twins would be intrigued by some of the prospects uh, that we have on top of, they could probably use a, 
a couple of years at a cheap level of a J.D. Davis, a Dom Smith, or a McNeil, um, that I could see a package working for one year of Buxton. Wow. And if it works, then we know we know we have the money to potentially re-up them if we wanted to. By, by the way, one guy that also would be a great, like I think would be a great free agent signing. Maybe Can not in one. Yeah, go ahead. Well, finish your sentence and I'll take a guess because the name just popped up for me as well that I was going to bring up. <laughs> you want me to give you more uh, hints of who I was thinking about? Yes. A versatile guy. Yep. All right. Done. Chris Taylor. Chris Taylor. There yes, you go. exactly. Because <laughs> that name popped up and I was like, he fits in a lot of ways. But again, in typical Mets fashion, one, we don't know why this guy is good now. He comes to the Mets. He's going to absolutely go back to, you know, hitting 240, like, and just being a very blah player. So that's my good player in LA killed the Mets a bunch. I remember that just, he just feels that way of like, you bring him in here and he'll just, you know, disappear. And by, by the way, last year, I think for a lot of Mets fans, their off season was a disappointment. They set the Steve Cohen bar, maybe higher than it should have been. I didn't think it was a disappointment. I liked what they did. Obviously a lot of this stuff didn't work out. The Lindor Carrasco thing turned out to be a disaster in year one. This is a really, really big year in terms of how far will he go to spend? You know, are we looking at a payroll that ends up rivaling the L.A. Dodgers? Are we going to see an offseason in which Steve Cohen says, all right, we got embarrassed. All right, we're looking for a new manager. All right, no one's letting us interview their GM or president candidates. Okay, we are going to blitzkrieg the world. We are going to get Correa. We are going to get Castellanos. I, I, I don't know. Now, honestly, I, I, I think he's going to spend. I don't know if it's going to be that, you know, bad guy spend that we've kind of dreamt about, but this is going to be a very interesting offseason, not for the hiring of Steve Cohen, because we know how that's gone, but for the spending of Steve Cohen. Does he embrace the, all right, I will be the evil empire of 2022? I, 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 if I was him and I had his money, I, I would have to, I can't hire anybody, can't even interview anybody, forget hiring. Um, but it goes back to what I said before. I think with the way a lot of contracts they have on the books already and just retaining guys that they, they already have, they're so close to that tax already to make the significant additions that they need to make, not want to make, they need to make to fill up the roster. They're going to be right at that tax and have to go over it. So if I take him at his word from last year where he's not going to waste time just going over it by a few million, he almost has no, in my mind, he almost has no choice where he's going to go over regardless so now it's going to be, hey, it's going to be put up or shut up. You said you were, were going to go over it. You were going to blow through it. Where I think this is, he's not going to have a choice but to do it. This will be a very interesting offseason. And it's also going to be delayed because there's going to be a lockout. We're going oh. to sit through. <laughs> we're going to have two months of nothing. And the then, offseason sucks as it is, how slow and dragged out it is. This year is just going to be torture. Yeah, but here's why it's going to be better. I, I, I'm confident that they're going to settle, that this isn't going to be a, a major work stoppage that we lose games on. So when they settle on February 15th, the offseason is going to last two and a half weeks of craziness. It's going to be just like the NBA. That should be the new structure going forward. That would be nice. I like that. That's how it should be every offseason. This three months of rumors every single day, it just, it drives you nuts. Instead, we got to spend three months of uh, watching Andy Martino tweets about nothing forever (laughs) and making things up. There you go. Thank you, uh, Fantasy Phil, Adam Eaton, also known as Ryan McGee. We'll check in again when the Mets start making moves. But this was a Let's Talk Players edition. Forget the team president garbage. Forget the manager garbage. Let's talk about players. Mets offseason preview 
of the Evan Roberts podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening.